Good morning. You know, um, I love the opportunity to speak uh, on three-day holidays because, you know, the Bible talks about the remnant, and there are a lot of different definitions about who the remnant are. But my definition of the remnant is those who show up in church on a three-day holiday. And so I welcome you, and I'm glad to meet so many of the remnant here today. You know, um, I think that uh, some of you, even many of you, may not even know who in the world I am or how I got here today. So um, Debbie Lake gave me a title. And if you read the... uh, the bulletin that came out, Debbie thought about that and said, well, what will I say? And so she decided on retired pastor. Well, she must have thought about that a little bit and wondered if that was sufficient. So she went on further down in the bulletin and she added for me a second title, former Boulder pastor. So, if you read the bulletin, I'm a retired pastor who was the former Boulder pastor. But I think of myself a little differently. uh, I'm going with, these days, I'm going with previously employed pastor currently ministering without a conference-assigned church. So, that's what you've got today, Um, but I have to tell you, um, I was talking to a teenager not long ago, and uh, some of these young kids are pretty curious, so he turned to me and he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm retired. I didn't go with the full title uh, at that time. I'm retired. And he goes, oh, he goes, isn't that like predeceased? <clears throat> and I went, what? <laughs> I said, where do you work? He goes, I work at McDonald's. So, uh, which is a noble task. I managed that. So, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you this morning in my capacity, and you can choose how you want to think about me. Uh, but I, I, I'm going, I'm glad, Debbie, you didn't go with predeceased. So, a seminary, well-known seminary professor who taught New Testament, gathered his newly assembled class together in the seminary. And so they all gathered, and this man had quite an esteemed reputation. And so he started off the class by saying, I want to give you an assignment. And um, so everybody kind of looked up, you know, got their pencils ready, and he said, I want you before our next class, which is next week, so I'm going to give you some time to think about this, I want you to go through the entire four Gospels and find for me the story that's hardest for you to understand or the hardest for you to relate to. 
And he says, then we'll deal with that. We meet. So all of the uh, class uh, dutifully went through that. They came to their class. They reported what their findings were. And instead of the professor explaining that passage and working on it, he said, oh, I forgot to tell you what your next assignment is. Your next assignment is to take that passage and tell me how you'd apply it to today. Uh, there were a lot of oohs and ahs in the class. But the text that won the day, the passage that won the day in that class, most often reported, we find in Mark chapter 5. So I'd like to review that, read that with you today so you know what they struggled with. And uh, if we can't, it, it looks like it probably will be on the screen, so you can read it from the screen. I'll be reading from the New International Version. And the story recounts from verse 1 I'm sorry, all the way through verse 20. So they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived amongst the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still a distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hills nearby. He sent us into those pigs, the spirits sent us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered into the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spread the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region 
and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So there, there's a context to this story. Um, the book of Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels. He's usually very concise about how he uh, recounts the ministry of Jesus. That this story uh, comes early on in the Gospel as sort of an introductory story. If you go back one chapter, there are four parables that Mark relays, mostly agrarian stories about farmers. Uh, he uh, <clears throat> also has one about a lamp um, where he begins to try to tell stories. But right after the four parables, he has four miraculous encounters. The first one precedes this story, and it's when the disciples are crossing the sea, and Jesus um, calms the sea. A storm comes up, they're afraid, and Jesus calms the sea. And they had the most amazing response. You know, if somebody calmed the sea, I probably would have gone, wow, did you see that? He calmed the sea. The story says they were terrified. The next story is the one we just read, where Jesus encounters this deranged man. And... Um, the next set of stories is sort of one story with two parts. It's where a woman approaches Jesus, touches his robe, and is healed of, uh, of bleeding. And uh, then subsequently is the most miraculous of all of those stories. Uh, a Jewish leader named J uh, Jairus, uh, daughter was sick and was dying, and, and they think she died, she did die, and Jesus restores her to life. So Mark recounts these four stories, of which this is one. Now, what's interesting about these four stories is the reaction of the people who saw what happened or experienced what happened all had the same response. Not the response I think I would have had, which was, wow, did you see that? Amazing! They were scared. Every one of the texts said their reaction was to be afraid, to be scared, to be terrified. They didn't know what to think about this person, Jesus, that they were encountering. But their first reaction was to be afraid of, of what they saw happening. Now, in this story, it is unique. Uh, unique in one way, it's the only uh, place in the gospel where this story is recounted. We don't find it in any of the other gospel accounts. So it's one of those few stories that Jesus tells that's not recounted by the other gospel writers, only Mark. The context of this story doesn't take place in a Jewish community. It says that Jesus got with his disciples in a boat and they sailed across the Sea of Galilee and they landed on the other side in the country of the Gerasenes. Now, the Gerasenes were not a Jewish community. They were Gentiles. 
Um, and that's why they had pigs, uh, so many. So this is an example where Jesus moves out of his religious community, and he goes over and interacts with a whole group of people that are very different. They have different religion, different values, different culture. And when Jesus interacts in this story, he has, there are five participants in this story. So let's go through them briefly. Uh, first of all, let's start with the Gentiles. So as we just said, these are not Jewish people who follow Jewish customs. These are uh, people who are not aligned with Jewish values, Jewish culture, Jewish practices, Jewish teaching. And their response to this, what happened to this deranged man, was Jesus, would you just leave us alone? Uh, I have a good friend uh, who I talk to occasionally. He used to be quite a uh, fervent, passionate Christian, but now he's moved over into another place in his life, and he's quite a skeptic. And so he found out I was speaking this week, and he said, so what are you, what are you speaking on? And I said, well... I'm going to talk about these pigs that went flying off the cliff, 2,000 of them, and, uh, in Mark chapter 5. He goes, oh, I'm so glad you're going to talk about the story because it's one of the best proof that God is unfair. And I went, what? He goes, yeah, here are these non-believers, these Gentiles, and Jesus shows up and he throws all their pigs off the cliff. Tell me how that's fair. So, uh, this passage does give us insight, maybe sometimes, in how the secular world, secular cultures react to faith in Jesus. They are sometimes worried about what happens when a person commits their life to Jesus or they see a religious community. Uh, it makes them nervous, and they see negative impacts from that. Hey, we see that today. But let's move on. So the Gentiles are kind of a passing part of this story. The heart of this story are uh, really uh, three people and some animals. So uh, let's talk about the pigs just a minute. Um, pigs get a very bad name in the Bible. I kind of wondered about that sometimes. You know, uh, in Proverbs chapter 11, it talks about people with, you know, if you're a bad person, you're like a person with a pig snout, in, with a, uh, a piece in his nose, the snout. Very derogatory. And then... Of course, when Jesus made the dietary laws, he put the pigs right up front in that as things you shouldn't ever eat. 
And then even Jesus came along in Matthew chapter 7 and said, uh, don't throw your pearls before swine, before pigs. And now we have a story where demons were looking for where to go and they picked pigs. And 2,000 flew off the cliff. So I wondered, uh, you know, why, why didn't he pick on lobsters? They're in the list, or shrimp, or dogs. And probably the reason pigs get into this story at all and go flying off the cliff is that the way they lived. People saw the filth that pigs lived in. They, they were not just bad to eat. They lived in this mud and dirt and filth, and they ate anything. And they became representative uh, to the Jewish culture of people who just were unclean and lived. And uh, I hope the kids don't listen to this part, but I thought I'd throw it in. Did you know that pigs will eat people? Uh, Jews were very aware of this. There's some commentary about this. They won't eat live people. But if you take a dead person and you throw them into a pig pen, they'll eat them. So... uh, Pigs represent in this story uh, the ultimate place that you don't want to be or likeness that you don't want to have. But this story gets more difficult when we get to the next two participants because you have the deranged man. It describes him in great detail. And you have Jesus. And um, what happens in this story is a little hard to embrace today. Because it says he was demon-possessed in the story. And that the demons are talking to Jesus, and Jesus is talking back to the demons. Now... This passage is hard because we don't see a lot of that today, do we? Ever talked to a demon? Ever met anybody who talked to a demon? Ever seen somebody who had a demon and it was cast out? So, to our minds today, we read this story and, and apply it extremely literally, as maybe we should, it kind of goes, what do we do with this? So let's talk about demons just a minute. I know it's not a subject for children maybe, but it's very popular in the culture today. Many books about demons, movies about demons. Uh, They're one of the best uh, most popular videos on Netflix today is about a Catholic priests exercising demons. Uh, back in the day, for the predeceased people here, uh, there was a movie called Rosemary's Baby, all about exorcisms and casting out demons. So it's very actually popular in the culture, but not in the church. We're not usually going around casting out demons. Uh, now, there are churches which put a lot of emphasis on this. There's a whole community of churches 
which you can see on TV where they proclaim they're casting out demons. Uh, Adventists, not so much. Um, so let me just say this about demons briefly, because you all have to make up your own mind how you want to think about this. Um, if you look in the Old Testament, you don't find the, uh, any descriptions of demons, really. There's no casting out of demons. When people are deranged or, or they are seen as being cursed by God or it being a, a result of sin in their lives. So in the 2,000 years of the Old Testament, we don't find these descriptions. Uh, if you go past the New Testament era into the past the early church, you don't find much reference to this at all. Uh, you do see some of it, though, in the New Testament literature and in the early church, some. So we would probably say, I would say to you, think about this however you want, but Jesus spoke to people in the culture and the language that they understood. Now, we see many examples of this in the New Testament. And I think uh, that Jesus certainly is using the way people thought in that time. They looked at these people, and that's how they characterized what they saw going on. And Jesus spoke to them in the language that they understood, in the culture and the way the culture relayed these kinds of things about people. Now, I'm not saying, I'm sure somebody, probably Mark Johnson, is out there thinking, well, those are real demons. And I'm not saying they weren't. I'm just saying there are several ways to think about this situation, these demons. Uh, maybe they were real, and maybe they talked to Jesus, but if that's the case, it's very hard to relate to that today. Uh, it you could make the argument, you could say about this story that it was only Jesus and his disciples. They were the only ones, because of who Jesus was, because of he was divine, because he had this power, he could do this. And, um, and that could be true, and that's a way to think about it. But also, we're missing the point of this story if we caught, get caught up in this whole demon piece. Because what Jesus is really trying to say in this passage is, here is a man, a person, a human being, and he's lost all capacity to be human. And, he, and this is the person who's lost the most of his human capacities. He's become completely deranged for whatever reasons you want to think about. Now, before we segment this off to the first century, look around. Look around. There's a lot of those around us who've lost all of their human capacities. I mean, just look down the road a few miles. A person walked into one of our grocery stores and shot down any number of people. 
some years back. A person walked into one of our theaters and killed multiples of people. Not long ago, somebody showed up in Colorado Springs and walked into an LGBTQ club and shot down numbers of people. Don't tell me we don't have lots of deranged people. Maybe we think they're just sitting on the corner with signs, uh, phony or real. No, we, we live in a world where this is occurring, and it's occurring on a massive scale in some places. If you read about the recent book, Painkiller, you'll see that one family who controlled a company that, direct, that uh, made oxycodone marketed it in such a way that it killed 300,000 people. One company, 300,000 people. So don't tell me today we don't have a lot of deranged environments around us. And I think the focus of Jesus is that in this story, however you want to think about this encounter, whether it was a cultural way of talking about people who'd lost all their capacities as humans, or they're real demons, or some people think this is all, you know, dismiss the Bible, these are all fairy tales. However you want to think about it, this man met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he met someone who didn't see his derangedness. He saw his humanity. He saw the struggles that he had as a human being. He looked at this person, Jesus did. He had the capacity to see this person in a totally different way. So when I think about this story, um, I think about it, I think about three parts to it. I ask myself, why did Jesus tell this story? It's an odd story, kind of crazy in some ways. Demons talking, pigs flying. I mean, it's a pretty strange story when you think about it. Why did he tell the story? Second, what did it mean? And what does it say to us today? So I think Jesus told this story because he invites us to see people in a different way. Not just see their problems, not see their dysfunction, not see their struggles, but to see them as individuals, some of whom have lost their human capacities. And just about the time that he invites us to think about that, to encounter people differently like that, I think he invites us to think about ourselves just a minute. So, uh, when I read this story, <laughs> if Jesus could take that person who had 
2,000 pigs worth of problems and bring a restoration into his life, what might he have the capacity to do for me? Um, it's an encouraging story to me, not an odd story. I think about what Jesus' capacity is to bring sort of a healing, transformation, renewal. If he could do that, maybe he can tackle some of the issues I struggle with as a Christian. I mean, when I think about my Christian experience, my Christian journey, I probably am not worth 2,000 pigs, but I think Jesus could find one or two to make fly. So why, why are we here as a church? You know, uh, church communities are pretty tame environments for the most part. Uh, there's something good about that, some place you can obtain. But we're surrounded in a world with lots of stuff going around us of people who've really held, had their humanity diminished in all kinds of ways. And I think Jesus put us here as a sign of hope that, you know, change and transformation can happen. It's discouraging sometimes. McCormick, uh, Cormac McCarthy in his Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Crossing, talks about a priest who uh, went on an assignment and he went to the bishop and he said, give me a church. And the bishop sent him to a church which the town only had 10 people and the church was destroyed. The Lapid caved in. And he sat them there and he said, he said, what, what am I supposed to do here? And he said, well, find the possibilities. Find out the possibilities of what can happen. In our Christian experience, our Christian growth, we are challenged by Jesus to grow. And that's a laborious journey sometimes. But the one who met this deranged man shows how destructive what was happening in him. Because when whatever was happening in him got to the pigs, they went flying off the cliff. And I think that's what he's trying to say to the Gentiles. You know, <laughs> you see this man as a problem. Look what happens when what's in him just gets in some animals. What happens to them? And he was trying to tell them, you know, I'm bringing you something uh, that's very hopeful. And of course, um, they focused, as my good friend said, on the unfairness of God in all of this. So today, uh, I think about uh, this is all around us. Uh, this is not a story from the time of Jesus. If, if we take it and leave it there and say, well, you know, he was talking demons and they were in pigs and pigs went flying and uh, Jesus must have been a really great person because he could do this and, 
and the demons went out. But it's a story about today, now. Um, it's about being able to look and see the possibilities in ourselves, in others, and to see what Jesus Christ in a relationship can do. What the possibilities are. Now, I know it gets discouraging sometimes, and we're not very successful at it a lot of times. But still, Jesus that we're in relationship to is the Jesus that met that man. So, I want to close today by uh, telling you a story. I was a young pastor in a uh, church in the barrio of East Los Angeles. I, uh, I don't know why they sent me there. I didn't speak Spanish. And uh, two-thirds of my congregation did, although they were bilingual. They spoke English as well. And... Um, and so I was speaking one Sabbath, and when I was sitting, getting ready to finish, um, I had this strange impression. Yeah, I know I, I can call out the people that know that I think I'm a little weird right now, but I had this impression that I should make a call, for, for those of you who know what that is, that in evangelistic series, you come to the end of the sermon and you invite people to come forward. Now, we don't do this mostly in our Sabbath churches, and I don't do it, never did do it, but I had this impression that I should make a call. And so I, I'm not very good at that. I'm not an evangelist. I really didn't know even how to do it exactly. So when I got to the end of the sermon, I just said, well... If there's anybody, and I don't even remember what the sermon was about. I said, if there's anybody here today who uh, would like to know more about Jesus Christ and consider and know about, I mean, I fumbled through this call. It was really sad, really. <clears throat> would like to come forward and like to know more about Jesus, you know. <laughs> and I turned and walked back to my seat knowing how dumb this probably was and sat down, and here's a man walking down the aisle. And I went, oh, no, what do I do now? And so I went forward. He walked down, and he stood right there. And um, I said, uh, well, uh, I know what to say. Uh, thank you. Uh, I said, uh, let's visit after the sermon. So... Uh, everybody, several people came up to greet him and welcome him, and nobody had ever seen him before in this congregation. And so uh, he sat there and he said, well, I said, well, tell me about yourself. He says, well, I'm an economics professor at Long Beach State University, but my parents were Adventists. And I woke up this morning and I haven't been in a church in 30-some years. But I woke up this morning and I say, oh, I'm a, I should go to church. Just go. And he says, I'm Hispanic. And so he says, I looked in the directory and there was this church in East Los Angeles. So I thought it would be Spanish-speaking. How disappointed he was. <clears throat> And I said, well, this is, a lot of people here speak Spanish, and so you're welcome here. And I said, 
uh, so you just came? Yeah, I just came and you invited me up front. And uh, this man's name was Joseph Rocha. He later was baptized and became a very active member in an Adventist church. And I think about these things, and I could tell you other stories, perhaps others, some right here in this congregation. When uh, Shadrach walked forward in this, con- in this congregation during an evangelistic uh, sort of environment, um, God has, sees people, and he knows the possibility that lives uh, for each one of us. Uh, and so I'm thankful for this story, I'm not sure what to do with the pigs flying off the cliff. Um, I'm not sure about the conversation going on between Jesus and demons. I think there's a variety of ways, actually, to understand that. Uh, and and uh, if you want to see that as very real, that's fine with me. But focus on what this story is telling us. We are in relationship with one who sees us and sees the possibility in us. So I'd like to close with Paul's description of this in Ephesians chapter 3. I think this will be on the screen for you as well. Yes. Beginning in verse 16. I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love, and it will keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work in us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.